0: Lord, I thank you for my brother in Christ uh, and for the opportunity to just hear him open the scriptures to us. You would just be with him and keep him, bless his family, that they just might know you uh, more deeper, and I pray that you'd protect him as he continues to just live on mission, doing missions all over the place and leading people. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Good morning. It's nice to be here with you guys again. I recognize some of you, and there's some that I haven't seen. Uh, so let me, just, let me just say it's a privilege to, to be here over the, over the last few years as Israel and Becky and their family have started this church. It's been an honor to be a part of it and, uh, and just to see what the Lord is doing. So, so thank you for having me today. We're going to be in the book of Jude. If you want to start turning there now, you can. It's a, it's a one-chapter book, and we're going to be starting in Jude verse 3, and then we'll head over uh, to the 20s. But as you're, as you're turning there, uh, I, I just want to reflect on the, on the reality, and I know you know this already, that we've changed a decade, right? And I was uh, uh, watching the news, you, guys, you know, like between Christmas and New Year's, you know how all the news starts talking about all the things that happened this year, and then all that happened in the last decade. And I was just profoundly, wow, well, profound, that's pretty dramatic. I'm dramatic all by myself. I use, I use big words. Let me tone it down a second. I was like Amused. When I realized that in 2010 is when the iPad came out, I feel like that's been around for forever. Anyway, as I was just thinking through the last decade and recognizing that we've made a transition, you know, last week or or just this this week, we've made this transition into a new decade. What are we going to do? How are we going to be? I don't know about you, but for me. Last year was rough. The whole decade was just kind of not my favorite, and I'm actually old enough now to count decades, which totally feels awful, <laughs> right? I mean, when you're like 20, you don't go by decades; you go by like years. In your 40s, you start doing decades, I guess. And I was just thinking, gosh, you know, I'm pretty, I'm pretty excited that this decade's over, because it was rough for me, to be honest with you. Uh, I've got to be honest with you, today, the whole talk, I, uh, uh, the, the sermon, and what we're going to look at in relationship to Jude, I, I have to be transparent and authentic with you to say, I had a rough decade. If you've heard me share here before, you know that I'm a missionary kid. My parents were missionaries overseas. I lived and grew up primarily in Quito, Ecuador. And, and I always miss Ecuador on New Year's Eve because there's a tradition we do in Ecuador that is just fantastic. And I don't know if other countries do it. Um, I've been to a lot of countries around the world, uh, but I've never seen this practice happen, and I want to share it with you. So on New Year's Eve day in Ecuador, the country that I grew up, everybody starts making an old man. They get wood, and uh, they get their old clothes, They pack this old man. They start constructing an old man, a life size, like a six-foot old man. They pack it with hay. They pack it with fireworks and newspaper. And the clothes that they put on are just clothes that they don't want anymore. And people, the the family or neighbors or the party, uh, people that are together, they write on the clothes things they want to get rid of in the last year. Okay? So think about what, like, that would be for you. You know, maybe it's like... um, you know, financial crisis, you know, they'd like write financial crisis on there, or uh, loss of a child, they'd, they'd write on there, or any kind of hardship, or, or anything that they're kind of just done with, they would write all over these clothes. And then they'd put them on the curb outside their house. So by 5 p.m., as the sun is getting ready to go down, you can walk the block, and you can see old men in front of every house. And then at the stroke of midnight you light that sucker on fire and they start popping from all the fireworks and they start exploding and families get out together and light it and they cry because they are burning the old year they are burning the old man getting ready for baby new year you see the metaphor and it was so fun growing up there because well when you're 15 it's super fun because you're like what kind of fireworks could I put in this? Because you know, this, be ex- this is gonna be exciting. My mom doesn't know I have an M80. This is gonna be, okay. But as you walk down the block and you see all these people with their, with their story being let go, the year has passed, the new year is coming. It's just a profound, really great thing. And, and it was really fun doing. So I used to do that with my kids. We'd build a man, but I had a little fire pit and no fireworks. And, and it started getting out of control. So we've, we've stopped that. Now we just talk about it instead. Having my, my six foot, I'm not good with heights. Mine became like a Goliath and a little fire pit in, in California, fire danger. So. But it's a neat practice to think about. You see, over the last year, I've come out of a really rough time. The last decade has been really rough. I don't know about you. For me, I found myself getting stuck at the crossroads of two places. I found myself getting stuck at the crossroads between what seemed to be other people's supersonic success and what seemed to be my epic failure. And kind of stuck in that crossroads. That feeling of why God does all this get to happen to them but in my life it's like this. Do you do that? Am I the only one? Gosh, that would be embarrassing. But I, but I bet I'm not. You know, my wife and I, we started a church in 2013, and in 2017 we had to walk away and it broke our heart. And so I would land in that crossroads. Lord, how come this church gets to take off but mine fails? That's the way I saw it anyway at the time. Lord, how come those kids seem to be super great and healthy but, but mine aren't. Lord, how come their life seems like whatever they touch, it just works out perfectly, and they get everything that they want, but you know what, Lord? Mine just seems to be hard. Do you do that? You know what happens when you do that? You get your eyes off of what God is wanting to do in your own life, and you get stuck on your own problems that you forget God has something for you. And you forget you have a job to do you know the, the the number one attack on the enemy or not attack his goal in the attacks is to get you distracted off of what it is that god wants to do in you and through you and we're no stranger to it the scripture talks about it let's look at jude Jude, verse 3. See, we see, we, we see right here that this is what Jude says. He says this. He says, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people, verse 4, for certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation? Ungodly people who pervert what God has to say. We'll just paraphrase that verse. Contend. We have a job to contend. I don't know where we are on the slide. <laughs> Why do the next one? So this word contend is fantastic. We know in the scriptures, if you're familiar with the New Testament. That there's another very strong metaphor, right? And it's training. You know this, right? If you've been around the church for any period of time, you know that the scriptures, the New Testament is filled with training. Timothy, Paul tells us in Timothy to train in godliness. Paul tells us in in, in, uh, Philippians and Ephesians and Colossians. Do you know how to memorize that, by the way? All girls, or girls eat popcorn. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, if you ever get lost. Girls eat popcorn. Okay. Okay. In Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians, there's these metaphors from Paul that we're to train, we're to run the race, we're to to prepare like a soldier does for battle, we're to prepare like it's time to, uh, like it's ready to run the race. But in Jude, something happens differently. We're told to contend. To contend. So what does it mean to contend? Contend is fundamentally different than training. Training implies there is game day, and you need to get ready for game day. Contend is saying it's game day. You see the difference? And when I think about what I want to be a part of next year, when I think about what God is doing in my life about next year, I have to say that what the Lord has put on my heart to say to you is it's game day. 2020 is game day. It's time to show up and play. you've been trained. There's more training to do. There's more endurance races to run. But gosh, maybe it's time for us to step up and actually play. How many of you know Keith Green? Have you ever heard this guy? Okay, Keith Green is from the 80s. He's a musician that was like a total hippie, smoked a lot of weed, did a lot of drugs, got saved, was a musician, got saved. The Holy Spirit, like, renewed him like the Holy Spirit does in all of us, and he had a fire for the Lord, and he started uh, writing and singing music. Now, a lot of people don't like Keith Green today, especially if you're like under 50 or 40, because his music is super 80s, but I celebrate his entire catalog, and I love his music. Not just the sounds of it, but the lyrics. And there's a song that breaks my heart every time I read it, every time I hear it, that I think speaks directly to what Jude is trying to say in relationship to contend. The, the song is called Asleep in the Light. I'm gonna read part of it. Listen to this. Open up, open up, and give yourself away. You see the need, you hear the cries, so how can you delay? God is calling, and you're the one. But like Jonah, you run. He told you to speak but you keep holding it in. Oh, can't you see such sin? The world is sleeping in the dark that the church just can't fight because it's asleep in the light. How can you be so dead when you've been so well fed? Jesus arose from the grave, and you, you can't get out of bed. Gosh, that wrecks me. That wrecks me. Because as a believer... I've been asleep. And you know what puts you to sleep? Your own problems and focusing on your own problems. You know what puts you to sleep? When you take your eyes off of what God is doing and what God wants to do in your life, and you take your eyes off of his glory, and you look onto your own problems, and you hang out in the intersection of what you seem to be other people's supersonic success and your epic failure. And I have to tell you, I've been asleep. I have. I I don't like saying that. I don't want to say it. It's not my favorite thing to say. There was a time when I was a pastor that I literally in my heart said this, and it's horrifying. I said, gosh, I've been a pastor for a long time. I could probably do this with my eyes closed. (laughs) And then I realized I was. Oh, I'm training. I'm reading my Bible every day. I'm training. I'm, I'm doing Bible study. I'm training. I'm doing counseling. I'm training. I'm, I'm, I'm meeting with people. I'm training. But Jude says, look, I wanted to write you, church. I wanted to write to you to say to you, hey, gosh, let's talk about what Jesus has done. Let's talk about our common salvation. Let's talk about that. But I found I couldn't do that. I had to change my message of what my original intent was to say, guys, it's game day. It's time to contend for the faith. So what, is it, what does it mean to contend? There's two, there's two ways to contend. Number one, you defend the way of Jesus. You defend it. And number two, you fight for the way of Jesus. So how do we defend the way of Jesus, and how do we fight for the way of Jesus? And I used to think, well, you do that through apologetics, right? You do that through evangelism, right? And I think that's probably still accurate. We can see that in the scripture. Yeah, I need to to know how to defend the faith. I need to know the concepts. I need to understand what other people's arguments are and how the scripture responds to those. I need to know that. I need to know the faith well enough that I could speak to people and interact on an intellectual level, but also enough grace that I could help them understand the position of Scripture. I need to do both of those things. But there's way more to contending. There's way more to contending. There's way more to defending the way of Jesus and fighting for the way of Jesus and it all happens inside. It happens in your heart before it happens with people. And who in the world's going to tell us to contend like Jude? You know what's fascinating, the fact that Jude is the one that tells us it's time to contend? You know what's fascinating about that? You know who Jude is? Do you know? Say that again out loud. Jesus' brother. Not just that, Jesus' baby brother. the, The youngest of all the boys. Which is fascinating because we know from the Gospels that Jude was part of the brothers and the sisters with mom watching Jesus in a crowd sending a little note to him up in the front, saying, hey, your brothers and your mom, they're waiting for you outside. They want to talk to you. And hearing Jesus say, and I'm paraphrasing, yo, who's my mama? Who's my family? Who's my brother? Who's my sister? Anyone who follows me. Could you imagine being baby brother, looking up at mom, saying, how could he say that to her? The scripture tells us that baby brother Jude Did not believe Jesus was the Son of God until he died on the cross. So when Jude says, (laughs) as Jesus' baby brother, when Jude says, Look, it's game day, it's time to defend the way of Jesus, it's time to fight for the way of Jesus, then we better listen, don't you think? So, how do we contend? Let's move the slides. I know I jumped ahead. I'm really bad with slides and my messages. Keep going. I'll tell you when to stop. Okay. Oh, good. Let's do them all. You know what? Go ahead. Put them all up there. I know I said not to, but let's do that. Let's look at verse 23. Six ways to contend. Verse 10. Do you see in verse 10, or excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, verse 20, do you see in the ESV, it says, but you. Do you see that? Does it say that, that idea in your translation? But you. So what Judah's done that's important is from verse 3, or starting at verse 4 to verse 19, he spent the time talking about what the world is doing. He spent those verses talking about what's influenced the life of a believer, what's influenced the church, And then he turns a corner to show us how to contend. And he says, but you. So let's paraphrase. The world is acting this way, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keeping yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life, and have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. So Jude says, look, it's game day. I wanted to talk to you about what Jesus has done in our life. That was my goal. But I recognized that you haven't shown up. I've recognized that you've been so caught up in other things that you're not showing up. And it's game day. It's time to show up. I know you're reading. I know you're going to church. I know you're doing these things, but it's game day. You need to defend the way of Jesus. You need to fight for the way of Jesus. And then Jude gives us six ways we do that. And the first one is that you build yourself up. But you build yourself up in what? What does it say? Anyone, say it out loud. Build yourself up in? In faith. Build yourself up in faith. What's the first thing you do, typically? What's the first thing you do when you're upset at God, disappointed, and life seems to fall out at the bottom, and you're like, well, where were you on that one, Lord? What seems to be the first thing you do? Like, like honestly. Okay, I'll tell you. You stiff-arm God, and you do that by saying, you know what? I'm not really going to spend my time in the Bible tomorrow. I'm really mad at him. He didn't really do what I wanted him to do. He didn't show up. I'm really disappointed. I've been following him faithfully. I don't know why he, now I'm not saying everybody does that, but there's a tendency. What else? I just don't feel like going to church this morning. I'm going to hear the same old message, the same old songs. I'm going to hear the same ideas and I'm just really ticked off. I'm not going to, I'm not, I'm not going to spend time with the Lord and I'm not going to go be around community. Am I the only one that does that? No. So what Jude's baby brother is saying, you want to contend? You want to show up for game day? You want to defend the way of Jesus? You want to fight for the way of Jesus? Then you do whatever you can to stay consistently where God hangs out. Because when you hang out where God hangs out, he does things in your life that are radical. But the enemy will do whatever he can to get you to just compromise and get away from what it is that God wants to do. I'm telling you, I'm telling you this from personal experience, and I know your experience is different. But when my life starts getting hard, and the temptations of the world start to seem like they are washing over me, and I can't catch my breath, the last thing I want to do as a human being is say, I'm going to take 30 minutes and read God's word. And then I'm going to go be around community. The enemy enemy tries to isolate. He tries to pull away, pull you away, and if he can pull you away and put you in isolation, then he's got you. So you want to contend? You want to show up for game day? Then you stay planted and rooted in the discipline of being in God's word. (laughs) For years, I thought the Bible was boring. I did. I'd read it, and I'm like, you know, this is kind of boring. I need something fresh. I need something exciting. I need something sexy, right? And if you don't think the Bible's boring, then go hang out in, like, Lamentations or Ecclesiastes and have a a hoopla of a time. Maybe hang out in Numbers and read a bunch of Numbers and do the math if you think that's awesome. But you know what I realized as I started growing in the Lord? It's not the Bible that's boring. It's me. It's me. I mean, I anyone who says the Bible is boring, I I would say, I think you're boring. Well, don't don't offend me. Get over it. This is God who loves you so much that he'd rather die than live without you. And says, I want you to know that I love you so much that I'm going to give you my word that is alive and active and sharp. It cuts right to the core of the issue and it separates the good in you and the bad in you. And it holds up a mirror and makes you reflect and say, do I want to really be like God or not? Do I really want to follow his son and have his reflection through me or not? And so the enemy would say, don't spend time there. Don't spend time there. You're allowed to be mad at God. You want to show up? You want to contend in 2020? Honestly, you want to you contend in 2020? Then hang out where God hangs out. He hangs out in his word. You know when Jesus is coming back? Does anybody know? <sighs> Me either. Jesus doesn't even know. Which is crazy i don't have a box for that one but we have a clue on when he's coming back and it's when every nation every tribe has the opportunity to hear the gospel message in their language okay that's when jesus is going to come back well so maybe you need to contend by building yourself up in the faith So that you could just talk to your neighbor who doesn't know Jesus. You want Jesus to come back? Contend. He moves on and he says, Build yourselves up in the holy faith. And then he says, Praying in the Holy Spirit. Praying in the Holy Spirit. Now, this is complicated. We've got denominations split over stuff like this. And I'm not interested in getting in a theological debate now. We can later, because I like those things. But it's interesting language that Jude would write. Pray in the Holy Spirit. See, what happens when you confess that Jesus is Lord, that he is the Son of God, when you admit that he's in charge of your life and that God raised him from the dead... The Holy Spirit, in a supernatural way, takes up residence in your life. The actual word in the, in the Greek is tabernacle. Like he sets up a tent in your heart and lives there. The Holy Spirit, the presence of Jesus, does that. Gives you new eyes spiritually. Gives you a new head, a new brain spiritually. Gives you new ears spiritually. And he starts renewing you and, and he cleans you to make you right with God, and he leads you on a journey of Christ-likeness as you follow in obedience. But the Holy Spirit is also someone we pray, we pray in the Holy Spirit. And this is, what, this is what Jude is trying to tell us. You pray in the Holy Spirit because then you're recognizing that your life is dependent on Jesus. Because you can go to any grocery store around here and ask people if they pray, and they say, yeah, and then you ask them who, and then it gets confusing. Right? Oh, I pray all the time. Well, who do you pray to? And then they list all the... Praying in the Holy Spirit is a 100% recognition that your life is dependent on Jesus. I was driving on the road right before Christmas, and I heard a radio thing because my phone didn't sync up to my car, so I had to listen to, like, radio. Who does that? And I heard this commercial, and it said, you know what makes California great? Our independence. I thought, huh, is that what makes us great? Like, that I don't, like, depend on you or anything else? I thought, well, what would California look like if what makes California great is that they depend on Jesus? Well, what would it look like, Ryan, if what made you you was that you depended on Jesus? See, the Holy Spirit, we'll find out in Romans chapter 8, the Holy Spirit is amazing. He translates your heart language to the Lord. You know what that means? You literally can do this. Honestly, this is what Romans 8 tells us. Lord... And Jesus goes, I know, I know. Romans 8 tells us the Holy Spirit translates our groans. So when we pray in the Holy Spirit, we're saying, I am dependent fully on the Lord when I don't even have the words. We have two kids. We have an almost 22-year-old son, and we have an 18-year-old daughter. When Kira, she's the daughter, Just in case. When Kira was uh, four, she was sick. And you know that kind of face that a four-year-old has when they're leaking out of all of their face? You know when they don't feel good? Like nose, eyes, mouth, ears, you know? And she's got that cute little blonde hair, and it's all messy, and she just doesn't look good. Her face is kind of red because she's got somewhat of a fever, and she can't really breathe, and she's got her arms, and she reaches them up for me like that. So I pick her up, and I hold her. And I'm looking out the window, and we're living in Oregon. It's just awful. It's like gray. You know, it's like the landscape, started le- the landscape started matching my mood. You know, just like gray. and. Anyway, I'm hugging her, and I'm holding her, and I'm rocking back and forth, and she started breathing like me. So like a good dad, I tested it. And so I changed, I changed my breathing. I breathed faster. And after a couple seconds, she found it and started matching my breathing. So, you know, you got to do everything in threes. I changed my breathing again. Took her a little while, and she found it. Whatever I did, she matched me. She was fully dependent on me. This is prayer in the Holy Spirit. When Jesus pivots, you pivot too. When Jesus seems to make a turn that goes further away from where you thought you were going originally, you go too. You lift your arms to him and let him pick you up, and you find his breathing. You find his pattern, and you match him. You become dependent on him. And life is hard. Life is real hard. Things don't go the way we want them to go. But God has you in his arms, and he's asking you to breathe like him. <laughs> Not like Jesus makes a right, and you say, where are you going? thought we were going this way. And then Jesus is like, yeah, but who's in charge here? Remember, remember we, we agreed. I'm in charge here. So when I go right, you're coming. Jude tells us that we are to keep in God's love. Do you know what the definition of God is according to 1 John? Anybody know? God is love. So, what's love? And what a crazy word is this? Because I love my wife and I love a, I love a Snickers, but they're like completely two separate things. You know what else is fascinating? Love is not an emotion. Like, go Google that. Like, get on Mrs. Google, type in, is love an emotion? And you're gonna find out it's not. Anger is an emotion. Grief is an emotion. Happiness is an emotion. Love isn't. Love is a choice. Our world wants it to be an emotion so that we can, like, pick and choose. Love is a choice. I do a lot of leadership coaching with people in ministry. And I was uh, having an interaction with a woman, uh, a a client of mine, who was really struggling with her understanding God's love through her own personal experiences that she was having, although she's in ministry. And as she was saying, I just really want to feel God's love. I just want to, like, feel him hold me. Like that story that I just shared about me and Kira, like I would love to feel something like that. And, and, and I was, like, tracking with her, and then I thought, I don't, know, I don't know what happened, but my mind was like, well, and I asked her, and I'm going to ask you how, do you, how do you feel a belief? How do you feel your core values? How do you feel those? How do you feel it? Well, okay, we feel it experientially eventually, but it requires that we put systems and things in place that we would modify our life, that we would have a set of disciplines that we would do that we hold on to to be true, and then we would experience the results of those. Okay? We got that? So when baby brother Jude says, keep in God's love, he is saying you have to stay rooted in the fact that God is patient, that God is kind, that he doesn't envy, and he does boast He's not proud. He's not rude. He's not self-seeking. He doesn't keep a record of your wrongs. He always hopes. He always perseveres. Even when you don't feel it. So, part of what we need to do to contend, to stand up on game day and defend the way of Jesus and fight for the way of Jesus, is that no matter what happens in my world, when my world seems to be spinning out of control, I hold on, I keep in the fact that God is kind to me when I'm unkind, that God is patient with me when I am not patient that God is not rude. He's not keeping a record of my wrongs. The only one that's doing that is me. So you want to contend? You want to show up this year? You want to make a difference in your life? You want to you make a difference in your neighborhood? You want to see the world changed? Then it begins in the battle of your heart that no matter what goes on in your life, you stay in God's love? And the more you stay committed to being with God's love, the more he changes your heart and you will experientially feel him. You will. But that's how we contend. Then it says, wait for mercy and have mercy on those who doubt. Now, four and five, they go together. What's mercy? What's mercy? We've got grace and we've got the sister mercy. Not getting what you deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. What do you deserve? Just as a human being, (laughs) as a sinner, what do you deserve? Death, separation from the Lord. You deserve all of those things. But Jude is telling us that we wait for God's mercy. Now, what does he mean, wait for God's mercy? But the rest of the verse, let me read it. The rest of the verse is profound, or the rest of that sentence is profound. He says, wait for mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Jude, Jesus' baby brother, says part of contending is that you wait for the Lord's mercy. In other words, you wait for his return. You wait for the day that you stand before him. But as you wait, there's a couple ways to wait. And this is what a lot of us do as we wait. For anything. This. This. I've got my phone if you can't see and i'm sitting here and i'm playing dig it catching up on facebook and trying to get a really cool instagram post as i'm waiting for whatever the doctor the bus because you all take the bus right the doctor the bus the appointment your coffee but that's not the kind of waiting that jude's talking about don't like sit there on your phone waiting to not get what you deserve the kind of mercy he's talking about, the kind of waiting he's talking about, is the kind with, with absolute intentionality and urgency. What would your life look like? Honestly, think about this. What would your like, life look like if Jesus died last night, he rose again this morning, and he's coming back tonight? What would you do differently? Would you wait on your phone? Or would you wait for him to come, doing whatever you can to contend for the gospel? But it goes with this other part that we have mercy on those who doubt. And church, gosh, you know what? We suck at it, we get so caught up in what people shouldn't be doing what they are doing that we forget that those who doubt we need to not give them what they deserve what about that what about that homosexual that says they follow Jesus what about them no they need to know they need to know that what they're doing is wrong they can't come to my house they can't they need to know you're supposed to christian contend for the gospel. Does that mean you water down what Jesus has to say? No. But it means you don't give them what they deserve because they are doubting. You love them with truth. I cannot believe that woman had an affair, left her entire family, and is now having this whole life that just seems to be wonderful. How dare she do that? I can't believe she did that. And she calls herself a Christian Jude's baby brother says you contend by not giving them what they deserve. I cannot believe my teenager lied like that. And now he's going to have a kid with a girl he only knows one night. What is his problem? He knows better. We contend by saying, He does not get, I will not give him what he deserves. You know what the problem is? We actually fall for the lie that we can have compassion and judgment in our heart at the same time, and we can't. You got to pick a lane. I am not saying we water down the gospel, I am not saying we just accept everything that happens that's sinful. But I stand as someone who wants to contend for the faith to say, oh, Lord, as I've asked you for so much mercy because of my own sin, let me have the same mercy for someone else when they sin. How dare I act like I deserve it more than them? I am saying, guys, what's more important, that someone falls in love with Jesus more or that we point out that they're, like, awful? The enemy will do whatever he can to get us to withhold reflecting the Lord. And when you don't give people what you think they deserve, and instead you love them, and you encourage them to just fall in love with Jesus more, you contend. There were four guys in Mark chapter 2. Four dudes. And they had a friend who couldn't walk and they heard that Jesus is in this house and in this house there's a ton of people and he's teaching and he's doing and saying crazy things and the house is packed with people and these four guys say we heard that Jesus is there and so we're going to take our friend and we're going to carry him to Jesus because Jesus will do something and they get to the house and they can't get in they try to ma- they try to get in they can't get in so they climb the roof they rip the roof off the place and they lower their friend in front of Jesus, and then they walk, they, they just literally watch as Jesus and that person interact. Okay. They had a mercy and compassion for their friend and a funda- fundamental belief that if they could get them in front of Jesus, Jesus will do something. Maybe your job is just to rip the roof off the place so that people who are doubting can interact with Jesus, and you can kind of just get out of the way. Jesus doesn't need a middleman. Jesus needs roof rippers. You want to contend? Build yourself up in the Lord, in the faith. Pray. Be dependent on the Holy Spirit. Stay connected to his love. Wait for his mercy in an active sense of waiting. Offer mercy to people who are doubting and then save others with the gospel of Jesus. And the language that Jude writes is so strong, and it reminds us of what happens in Zechariah. If you want to turn there real quick, Zechariah's in the Old Testament. We look at Zechariah chapter 3. See, the language that Jude uses is he says, save others with the gospel of Jesus. Snatching them from the fire is graphic language. And we see it here in chapter 3 of Zechariah. Now verse uh, 3. Now Joshua was standing before the angel clothed with filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, remove those filthy garments from him. And to him he said, Behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. So there's this image of standing before God in the most clean, holy, unadulterated, pure place, standing there filthy. And God saying, Man, I'm going to take those dirty clothes, and I'm going to give you like super clean clothes. You don't fit in with me because of your sin and guilt and filth, but now you fit in with me because I've cleaned you and given you newness. The gospel does that. When you share the gospel, the life, death, resurrection, and soon return of Jesus, when you share the the gospel, you are part of building the kingdom of God by snatching people from eternal separation and death. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. You are not a carnival barker for the kingdom of God. You know what I mean when I say carnival barker? You're not the guy standing saying, come see the show! Come see the show! Five dollars! Come see the man with all the tattoos! Come see the woman with the mustache like you're some carnival. Come see the bearded lady! You know, whatever. I don't, I've never heard of her. That's a carnival barker. Someone who is... Just calling out to come, come see the show. That's not what you're doing. That's not your job. Your job is to do these six things. And when you do these six things, you share the gospel with people. Your job is to invite people into a relationship with Jesus. To invite them to know who Jesus is. Your job is not to convince them your job is not to help them make that decision. Your job is to rip the roof off the place so they can hear and interact with Jesus. Many times, perhaps, oh gosh, how many times have we said this? And with this, I'll start to close. I don't even know where we are with time. I'm sorry. Is a roast in the oven? Okay. You know what kept me from witnessing? Fear of rejection. And what if I don't know enough? You know what Jude's baby brother says? Well, Ryan, I want you to build yourself up in the faith. I want you to hang out with me in my word. Ryan, I want you to be really dependent on me in prayer and in life. Ryan, I want you to stay rooted to the fact that I am kind with you and that I am patient with you, that I, that I, I will always persevere with you, that I will not keep a record of your wrongs, Ryan. I will always hope in you. I will always, I will always be there for you. I, I love you. I want you to remember, Ryan, that while you wait for me to come, or for you to stand before me in judgment, I want you to recognize that you're not getting what you deserve. And as a result, I want you to treat people in the same way. And and when you do that, I want you to save others with the gospel. I want you to tell people, the reason you do those things is because you love me. It's game day. Twenty twenty is game day. What are you gonna do? There, I go to I go to uh, Africa a lot, and I work with uh, some of the most amazing persecuted leaders on the planet. i got to be honest with you, I've never met men and women like this. There was a man who heard of a town uh, uh, that was persecuting Christians beyond belief, ending their lives in tragic ways. And this guy felt like the Lord had told him in a, in a dream and felt like the Lord had told him through his word that he needs to go to that place to encourage the believers. Not necessarily to witness to the perpetrators, but to encourage the believers. He would get photos on his phone. He would get sent photos of of, uh, persecuted Christians in their burial clothes, wearing white clothes and their face covered in all white, the way that their custom is, lined up in their homes and out on the streets. And his heart would break saying, I need to encourage them before they die. And his friends, said, don't, his friends are like, don't go. This is ridiculous. Don't go. Send them a letter. I mean, even Paul wrote from prison, send them a letter. He said, I will be disobedient if I don't go. They took him to the airport. They cried their eyes out. They hugged him. They sent him. And two weeks later, they get a picture of him. He had been killed. And when they opened up his suitcase, they found that he had taken his own burial clothes. I want to contend like that. Lord, where do you want to send me? And I'll go prepared for whatever happens. But it's game day. I want to contend too. So Lord, that's that's it, I guess. That's, a, that's what you're saying to me. And Lord, as I stand before this group of people, I recognize the, the honor you've given me and the, uh, the hard task that comes with that, to, to own it. So Lord, I, I ask that you, that, that you help me to not just train, but to really show up and to show up in ways that you've outlined in your word. Thank you, Lord, for who you are and how you're moving. In Jesus' name, amen.